hole. All right, grab a seat if you would, please. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for braving the snow and the holiday weekend and everything else and being at church today. It's good to have you with us in person. It's good to have you with us online today. Um, as we're kind of in between series right now. So uh, as, as we get started, we'll, we'll kind of do so talking about the calendar. Um, we are, uh, you know, done with Advent. And so the Advent series is all wrapped up. Next week, we are going to launch a new series uh, entitled Winning the War of Your Mind. It's based off a book by the same title. And so if you want to get ahead on that, you can pick the book up if you wanted to. Uh, and then starting January 30th, we're going to launch our winter churchwide series on the book of Esther, which is a story of chaos, a queen, and an unseen king. Um, now, here's the thing. When we say churchwide series, here's what we're talking about. We, we're talking about, we're going to, for, for a series, we're going to start a conversation on Sunday mornings, and then we're going to continue that conversation in our small groups. Because as, as we are, you know, known to say around here, you can learn and grow in rows, you can learn and grow in circles, but you learn and grow best when you do it in both ways. And so uh, today we're going to spend some time talking about why we would encourage you, if you're not in a small group already, to get signed up for one. If you are in a small group uh, already, to be able to sit back and go, yeah, I'm smarter than all those people. You know, who, who haven't signed up for a small group yet. So we're going to either motivate you to get, you know, into a small group or we're going to feed the smugness that, you know, resides with inside of you. So, uh, but before we, we do all that, we're going to take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this conversation with us, and then we'll jump into things. Father, um, somewhere in your word, it says you abhor snow on Saturdays. Um, as pretty as it is, um, just thanks for the opportunity to come together and to worship and just for the beauty of the snow. Father, um, just as we take time and we think about community today and why you have put that into place and why it's worthwhile for us, pray you open up our hearts and our minds to you and to your truth. Father, we just pray... Um, just for those among us who are struggling today, uh, just for the Bologna family, as Claudia is recovering from surgery, we pray for your hand of healing on her body as she and Steve are awaiting pathology reports. Father, we pray that this surgery would take care of all the cancer, and we pray for healing for her. Father, we pray for her sister, uh, who is still in the hospital, and we thank you that she's recovering well from COVID, but as she's had this fall and has created a whole new list of complications, we pray for Paula and for your hand of healing on her. We just ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So James mentioned the, uh, the YouVersion app. If you have that and you want to pull it out, there's a spot in there for taking notes. If you're old school... You're like, I don't do that note thing digitally. I'm pen and paper. Fine. Get out a pen, get out some paper, and take some notes. And before you walk out of here, hopefully you will have three compelling reasons for why a small group experience is worth your time. And if you're like, Mike, 
the church-wide doesn't start until January 30th. That's nearly a month away. I get that. But, but whether, whether you're resistant because you just like to wait to the very last minute to sign up for things, and I get that's a church virtue, or you're resistant for another reason, we're, we're, three reasons why this is worth your time. So we'll start out with a little survey here. It's kind of informal. Uh, how many folks would say they, they want to experience God on a deeper level than they do right now? Anybody interested in experience God on a deeper level? If it's you, you can raise your hand. Uh, if you're like, I got all the God I can take. Anybody? All right. All right. You're like, can I raise my hand for that in church? I don't know. God knows anyway. It's not like you're fooling him, all right? Uh, if you're on the live stream and that's you, you can just put in the chat feed, that's me. Here's the deal. I would argue that the first reason why a small group experience is worthwhile for you is that is a place where you are going to experience God on a deeper level. I, I would contend that the Apostle Paul express, expresses the idea this way as he writes to the Corinthians. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now the, the, the context that this passage is given in, Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. And and Paul uses a very common literary device in, in his day and age to make a point. And, and the way this works is the, the writer is going to write the same thing three times over. He's just going to say it a little bit differently each time to make one singular point. So as Paul begins here, he, he's like, listen, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. Now, every one of us is wired differently, so we each all have different spiritual gifts. And then he, three times over, he's like, you've got gifts, you've got service, you've got working. All of which are three different terms that are meant to describe spiritual gifts. So as he begins, he's like, listen, everybody's got a gift. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have one. We're wired differently. Everybody has a different one. Whether you call it a gift, a service, or working, you've got a spiritual gift. And then Paul says, but even though we have different ones, they all come from the same place. The, he says, the, your gift comes from the, 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 the Spirit. Your gift comes from the Lord. Your gift comes from the same God. Now, these are just three different terms for the God of the Bible. Paul's like, listen, everybody's wired differently. Y'all have different spiritual gifts, but your spiritual gifts all come from the same place. They come from the God of the Bible. And then Paul makes a statement as he wraps this up that if you really think about it, can almost be jarring. He says, now to each one, so to each one of you have a spiritual gift, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He says, now to each one of you who's got spiritual gifts, the manifestation of the Spirit, and Spirit is just another designation for the God of the Bible here, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul is calling your spiritual gift a manifestation of the God of the Bible. Paul wants you to understand here that when you see someone, when you experience someone living well into their spiritual gift, 
you are seeing a manifestation of the God of the Bible. Now, what does Paul mean here by manifestation? Well, in the original language, it's a word that we have translated as manifestation. It's meant to capture an expression of something else. Or it's meant to capture something that is seen with new and distinct clarity. Or it's meant to capture something that was once covered up and now there's been this reveal. So when Paul says, the, the man, you know, your gift is a manifestation of the Spirit. He's saying, when you see, when you experience somebody living well into the spiritual gift that God has given them, you are seeing an expression of God's personhood. You are witnessing a truth about God's character with new and distinct clarity. You're seeing something about God that maybe for you once was revealed and now it's being, you know, it was covered up and now it's being revealed. So he says, hey, when you're around somebody, they're living into their spiritual gift. When somebody's around you, you're living into your spiritual gift. The God of the Bible is being made manifest. Now, we may wonder of all the ways God could reveal himself, express himself, make himself more clear. Why in the world would he choose quirky, broken people to do that? But he does. And I would contend that one of the reasons that he does is because God understands the language that we speak and relate to best. The language of humanity. See, as human beings, we relate to and understand a concept best when we're experiencing it through other people. So, like, I, I, could, I could have you read about, I can sit up here and lecture about concepts like love and grace and humility and leadership and justice and mercy and generosity and teaching and service and more. But if I can get you around somebody who is living into one of those things well, your understanding of that divine attribute will skyrocket. See, this is part of why Jesus came. Jesus came to us, God with skin on, to show us who God is. Like if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. But here's the trouble with Jesus. He's gone. He's not, you, you can't physically experience him as a human being anymore. You're left to read about him or listen to people talk about him. And so God has now given us the church. And in the body of Christ, in the church, we have an opportunity to interact with other people who have spiritual gifts that are meant to be a manifestation of the Spirit of God. They're here for our good. And so as you experience me living into my gift, if I, as I experience you living into your gift, I experience who God is. I experience his attributes. They are mirrored for me through you. I get to, I get to learn about God, experience him in the language I understand and relate to best, that you understand and relate to best, the language of humanity. So why bother signing up for a small group? Because 
Small group is a place where we experience God more fully as we interact with one another and experience one another living into our gifts. Now, before we move on to our next point, let me just deal with an objection that some of you are thinking already. Some of you are going, okay, that's fascinating. Never thought about that passage that way. Um, that was brilliant exegesis, Pastor. Thank you, I know. All right. Some of you are still going, but I can experience people living into their gifts in places other than a small group. I don't got to do one of those small group things to experience somebody living into their gift. And you know what? You're right. You can experience people living into their gifts in places other than small group. But I'm, it's, listen, as somebody who's done the small group thing for decades and the church thing for even longer than that, there is no place where you will experience a wider range of, small, of spiritual gifts than you will in a small group. Most of the places that you go to in a church, you will find collections of people who share the same gift. You get this narrow slice of God's personhood in these different places. But in a small group, almost like God's trying to mess with us, he brings together a group of different people who have different kinds of gifts. You can experience, you have an opportunity to experience an eclectic gathering of different spiritual gifts. If, if you want to comprehensively get a picture of who God is, there is no better place in the church to experience a wider range of God's personhood displayed to us in the gifts than you will experience in a small group. Yes, you can experience spiritual gifts in other places, but if you want to experience God as fully as you can, I'm telling you right now, small group is one of the best places, if not the best place in the church, to do that. So, why, why sign up for a small group for the church-wide? Reason number one, that's where you experience God more fully. Reason number two, Small group is a place where growth and healing happen. It's a place where growth and healing happen. Again, Paul expresses a concept this way. He writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now in this passage here, Paul is talking to, to, to the church in Ephesus about the, the process of growing up in Jesus, becoming like Christ. And one of the things that Paul wants them and us to understand is that the, the principle of connectivity has an impact on whether or not we are going to be growing and healthy in our relationship with Jesus. And Paul's trying to get the church then, the church now to understand that to the degree that a person is connected to the figurative body, because he's like, listen, the church is a body. Jesus is at the head. You're all members of that. You're each a different member of the body, right? You know, some of your hands, some of your feet, some of your brains, some of your mouths, you know, everybody's a different piece, right? You can look around at your neighbor and, you know, figure out which, what piece would they be, all right? Um, you can tell them afterwards as you're having coffee, you know. Um, but he's like, Jesus ahead, every one of you are a piece. And, and Paul's, one of his points here is like, listen, your growth, your health is going to be determined by your connectivity. 
And, and the, the, the principles of connectivity that apply to a physical body, it applies to a figurative body. So like with my physical body, like my hand here, my hand's going to grow and be healthy as long as it's connected to my arm, which is connected to my body. It's going to get nourishment and support from the rest of my body. If I was to lop off my hand here, you know, I get a cleaver from the kitchen, lop off my hand here on stage, and I will go to great lengths to make, you know, illustrative points on stage, I will stop short of that. Um, but if I cut off my hand, what's going to happen to my hand? Yeah, it's going to die. It's really not that complicated, right? It's, if I cut off my hand, if it's separated from the body, it's going to die. The principle of connectivity, it's not that complicated. It has a profound impact, but it's not that complicated. And Paul's like, listen, the principle of connectivity, the way it applies to a physical body, it applies to a figurative body like the church. You cut yourself off from the body, you're gonna die. You got as much chance of, of growing and being healthy spiritually cut off from the body is my hand does if I cut it off and I leave it here on the podium this week. It just won't, it, it won't work. It's, and again, it's not that complicated. And yet, when it comes to being disconnected, we approach it differently with the physical body as we do with the figurative body. Like with our physical body, you, you can have a part become disconnected. You're like, you have an accident, and a limb is severed. And when that happens, like, as fast as we can, we have this incredible sense of urgency of, hey, i got to get this thing reattached. Or there are times where we will intentionally separate part of our physical body from the whole. You know, like, you'll have a, an organ removed. But when that happens... It's always incredibly important. There's always an incredibly important reason behind that. Th that organ is so sick that if we don't remove it, if we don't separate it from the rest of the body, it will destroy the rest of the body. And even when we have a really important reason for removing that organ, we're, we're like we do everything within our power before we amputate that thing. But when it comes to the figurative body, a person will realize, oh, I'm separated from the body. And the sense of urgency that we have with the physical body, we oftentimes lack that. When we realize we're separated from the figurative body, we oftentimes don't have the same sense of urgency to get connected again. Or, the, 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 like, we got to have a, an incredibly important reason to, like, separate an organ from our body. But the reasons that we'll use to justify separating ourselves from the figurative body, they're, they're nowhere near as important. And then we wonder, why am I not growing? Why, why am I not healthy? Why am I anxious and depressed? Why do I feel so disconnected? It's because we're disconnected. And the, the principle of connectivity is not that complicated. It will have a profound impact 
on our lives and our spirituality. But it's not a complicated principle. Now, for me, one of the times that, that I experienced this principle in, in, in a positive way that's just memorable to me came when my mom passed away. My mom passed away in 2009. She had early onset Alzheimer's. So my mom passed away at the age of 57. Uh, it's early onset. That's so she's young when she got it. And early onset Alzheimer's works in such a way where once it begins to impact you, it's really aggressive. And so when the flywheel gets spinning, it just spins faster and faster and faster, and it's more and more and more and more aggressive. So like pri five years prior to my mom realizing something was wrong with her, she, I mean, just lived a normal life. She drove her vehicle, she ran her own business, she managed her home. She could keep more plates spinning than anybody I knew. I watched my mom over the course of five years lose all of that. Everything was gone. In fact, the, the, the last time I, I, I saw my mom when she was alert, um, she had no safety awareness whatsoever. She could perform none of her activities of daily living. She was largely nonverbal. And her, um, her emotional state, her personality become very volatile. That last communication I had with my mom consisted of my mom flying me the bird. Um, that's how it went. And you can laugh or you can cry, and we just chose in our family to laugh anyway, and uh, I won't illustrate that for you on stage either. Um, but, you know, like my mom came back from the psych ward that day, and I watched for about three hours as she did circles through the house, and then she sat down, and that was the last time she ever got up again. Now, th this, over the course of five years, I watched my mother slowly die one piece at a time. And over the course of five years, I did not let myself feel any of that emotionally. See, prior to going to pastoral ministry, I worked as a social worker. And for about a decade, I worked in long-term care. And so I worked with people who had what my mother had. I worked with people who had things similar to what my mother had. And I learned early on in long-term care if you do not find the switch in your brain that you can flip and that creates significant emotional insulation between you and, and, and the folks you are working with, you will not survive in that industry. 40 plus hours a week, you are around people who have what you're going to have someday or who have what your loved ones are going to have someday. And you cannot be exposed to that constantly and survive unless you, you find that switch and flip it. And so I early on found that switch and I flipped it and I survived in that industry and I watched all kinds of other people who couldn't find that and they did not survive. So I'm, I'm watching this go down with my mom and my, 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 my dad, my siblings are not doing well with it emotionally. And so I'm like, hey, somebody's got to be strong. Somebody's got to be unemotional. Somebody has to be able to take care of business in the midst of this. Based on my work history, I guess that, I, I, that's me. I guess I'm the candidate. So I flipped the switch, and for five years, I didn't feel a thing. Now, when my mom passed away in 2009, that caught up with me. I don't recommend that as a strategy, all right? The one I employed, it did not serve me well in the long run. The place that I began to find 
healing for that was not a place I expected to find it. It was in my small group. My mom passed away, and one of the other pastors that I was on staff with at the church I was serving at at the time says to me, hey, we're going to line up some meals for you and your family. I was like, I don't need meals. Like My mom died. I don't live with my mom. You know, my, Laura can cook just fine. What do we need meals for, right? My compassion gene shining through. Um, <laughs> he's like, no. I mean, basically sat on my chest. He's like, you're taking meals. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. We're, you know, send some meals over. And um, most of the meals came from our small group. I remember the first night, a couple showed up with a meal, came in, talked to us about how we were doing, prayed with us and left the meal, and then they were on their way. I sit down at the table with my wife and my kids, and I'm trying to say grace, and I can't. Because I'm just fighting back the overwhelming urge to break down and just cry at the table. And, like, I'm not a big crier. There are people on our staff that are big criers, right? (laughs) That's not me. Good, wrong, indifferent, you know, whatever. Um, I'm just not. And so, like, I'm, like, getting ready to break down. I'm, like, what is wrong with me? It's Boston Market, for God's sake. You know, it's not even a good steak to cry over. Like, but what was happening is in that moment, in a physical, tangible way, I was experiencing the care and the love and the compassion of God through people in my group. It was that whole manifestation thing being lived out right in front of me. And that, for me, was the beginning of the healing process. Why bother signing up for a small group in in January if you're not already? Because small group is the place where growth and health happen best. And again, can, can, you know, can you experience connectivity with the body in places other than a small group? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the level of connectivity is going to be greater in a small group. Just, just think about it. As you sit here in rows, how deeply do you really connect with the people you're sitting next to or in front of or behind. You know, we make you answer some stupid question every week, you know, and there's, there's a minimal amount of connectivity, and that's intentional. But I'm telling you right now, the degree of connectivity that you have when you're sitting in a circle with the same people week in and week out, when you're intentional about doing life together, it's radically different. And again, the principle of connectivity, it's not that complicated, but the impact is profound the greater the degree of connectivity, the the greater potential there is for growth and health. All right, one more reason. Last last reason comes to us from a clip from the classic Marvel film, The Avengers. Um, Let's turn down the lights and watch the screens, and then we'll talk about it. Thor didn't say where he was going for answers. Sometimes my teammates don't tell me things. I was kind of hoping Thor would be the exception. Yeah, in time, 
We don't know what the Maximoff kid showed him. Earth's mightiest heroes. Pulled us apart like cotton candy. Seems like you walked away, all right? Is that a problem? I don't trust a guy without a dark side. Call me old-fashioned. Well, let's just say you haven't seen it yet. You know Ultron's trying to tear us apart, right? Well, I guess you'd know. Whether you tell us is a bit of a question. Banner and I were doing research. That would affect the team. That would end the team. Isn't that the mission? Isn't that the why we fight? So we can end the fight? So we get to go home? Every time someone tries to win a war before it starts, innocent people die. Every time. I'm sorry. Mr. Stark, Clint said you wouldn't mind, but our tractor doesn't seem to want to start at all. I thought maybe yeah, you might... Kick. Don't take from my pile. One of the things I appreciate about that clip is that Cap splits wood like me, just rip it apart with our bare hands, right? Um, so one last reason why a small group experience is worthwhile, it's a place where we can be sharpened. It's a place where we can be sharpened. The writer of Proverbs expresses it this way, he says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is part of what we're seeing happen in that clip. The Avengers, they're doing life together. They're getting to know each other. They're getting to bug each other. There's friction. And as they're rubbing up against each other, that friction creates an opportunity for sharpening. And, and, and more sincerely, one of the things I appreciate about the clip is that neither person, neither Cap nor... nor um, Tony is 100% right or 100% wrong, which tends to be true to life. When we, when we have friction with somebody else, usually you don't have somebody who's all right and somebody who's all wrong. It doesn't work that way. But, but when that friction happens, it gives us an opportunity to knock off some of the rough edges, to deal with some of the imperfections, to deal with some of the dull edges. And, and here's the thing, sharpening something that anybody who's just a little bit honest and a little bit self-aware knows that they need. None of us are perfect. Everybody's got their growing edge. Everybody's got their blind spot. Everybody's got the part of their life that's become stagnant. And, and community, the great thing about a healthy community is it provides us with an opportunity to be sharpened. It provides us with potential to grow and, and, and to become better. To be, it provides us with an opportunity and potential to become the people God designed and meant for us to be. See, as long as I'm swimming in the shallow end of the relational pool, I can keep you at arm's length. I can hide the junk. I can, I can hide the stagnation. You're never going to see it, and I don't have to deal with it. But when I, get, when I put myself in a context where I am known and I know, like, let's be honest, it's, it's like dating. You put the best you forward, but you can only keep that up for so long. Eventually, the real you starts to come out. And when the real you, when the real me comes out, it provides you and me with an opportunity 
to get some of those rough edges, those imperfections dealt with, to get the dull edges sharpened. Now, I very intentionally said it provides us with an opportunity for that and it provides us with potential for that because sometimes when that opportunity comes, when the potential is right there in front of us, sometimes people are resistant to that. See, so often the, the story that can be told kind of goes like this. I show up at your community, whether that's your church, your small group, a one-on-one -on -one relationship, and when I show up, I have this story that I tell about my last community experience, about how disappointed I am with the people who were there, about how I got hurt somewhere along the way, about how I, you know, it just didn't go the way it could have or should have. And I tell you how hopeful I am that this community experience with you and your group and your church and this relationship with you, this one's going to be different than that last one. And then I hang around long enough for you to get to know me. And my junk becomes apparent eventually. And you have the audacity to say or do something in response to that. You provide me with an opportunity for sharpening to occur. And so you know what I do? I bolt. Because that's uncomfortable to have to deal with that kind of stuff. Those, those conversations, they're not fun. The, the change is work. And so I leave and I go to the next community. And when I get there, I tell this story about my last community. And you know who the bad guy is in this next story? It's you. And I just repeat that cycle again and again and again. And then I wonder, why can't I seem to make any traction, get any kind of traction in these areas of my life? Why is it that, that like, I see other people and they're just growing and they're, I mean, like, they're sharp and here I am stuck. It's because whenever there's opportunity, whenever there's potential, I just move on. It doesn't have to work like that. Small group provides us with a place where we can get to know other people, where they can get to know us. And over time, as we rub up against each other, in the midst of the discomfort of friction, we can get the benefit of being sharpened. So, January 30th, launching a church-wide series, and I would say to you, hey, if you're not in a group, get signed up for one. Now, before I tell you how, full disclosure about groups. There's advantages and disadvantages, right? We'll start with the advantages. When we do this church-wide, all right, it's going to last for six weeks, all right? So if you're like, I'm afraid to sign up for a group because, like, once I sign up for a group, I've signed in blood, I'm stuck in that group for six weeks, like, you know, no, the rest of my life, you know? Six weeks. You're making a six-week commitment. If your schedule changes, if the chemistry of the group doesn't work, if the leader's, you know, incompetent, whatever. Six weeks, all right? The other upside to our groups is there are people even now on our staff and our, our growth commission that are leading our groups that are working incredibly hard to make sure that it will be a positive experience for you. So that's the upside. Now, is there downside to groups? Yes. First downside, the groups are going to last six weeks. You're like, that was, a, that was an upside. Yes, but it's a downside as well. 
Because here's the deal. The advantages to being in community, in six weeks, you're just going to scratch the surface of that. Genuine community is not something you can microwave. We're not making instant oatmeal here. This takes time. And the, the, the greatest benefits of being in community that we've talked about today is to fully experience them. It will take longer than six weeks. I'd be disingenuous to tell you otherwise. Not only so, here's another problem with our groups. They're full of people. <laughs> Quirky, broken, and perfect people. In fact, every group has an EGR. An extra grace required participant. And if you're in a group and you're like, our group doesn't have an EGR, you could be it. That's right. You don't know who it is. It's probably you, all right? Being around those imperfect people, they need you. And believe it or not, you need them. Because that is the place where you will most fully experience God. That is the place where there's potential for growth and healing. That is the place where you have an opportunity to be sharpened. So, not in a group, get out your connection card. There's one in the seat pocket in front of you. Get on your device, fill out your connection card, and just write in there, small group. And Pastor James and his team, between now and the 30th, they will help you get connected to a group. In weeks to come, out at the community station, which is out these doors and to the right, we'll have live people out there who can talk to you about groups and, again, help you get connected to a group. But especially as we are moving in to the longest, coldest, darkest parts of winter, don't do it alone. It will not go well for you if you do. If COVID has taught us anything, it has taught us that isolation is not good for our souls. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you just for the gift that you have meant for community to be. Father, I just pray for those of us who are in groups that you would have your hand of life on those groups, on the people in them, that we would continue to experience more and more fully all that you've meant for community to be in our lives. Father, for folks who are not in a group, um, God, I just pray you would strip away all the good excuses, all the good reasons, and that those folks would feel compelled by you and they will get plugged into a group. And Father, I just pray for good connection with others in the months to come, with you in the months to come. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.